Hey everyone, my name is Tim Gillespie. I'm the lead pastor here at Crosswalk Church in Redlands, and I'm the teaching pastor for our Crosswalk Network, and I hope that you have had a happy Thanksgiving. I hope that it was a blessing to everyone, and I hope that if you watched this last week, you heard Dave, our pastor from Chattanooga, our lead pastor from there, and um, I thought he just did quite an amazing job. And so um, my hope is that it was a blessing to you, blessing to your family. And this week you went crazy, you ate great food, um, you slept a lot, you got a chance to be with family and friends. And um, if your Thanksgiving wasn't great, maybe you had a Friendsgiving that was better or maybe the opposite way, maybe you did something at your work that you love to do. My hope is that it was just a phenomenal time and hopefully a little bit of time to give you a break. I hope you weren't traveling because I know that that's pretty significant. Um, traveling on this particular week, which makes it hard. And I, you know, sometimes when I travel, especially on those really busy holidays, um, I find myself not being full of gratitude. I'll tell you that. You get angry, but I'm not angry like some people are angry. Like you've seen people who are angry, right? You've seen people who are, who are screaming at the flight attendants or the people at the gate, telling them to fix something, make it work. I know this, that if my plane's being fixed, I don't need you to rush. I want you to take all the time you need. I want the plane to fly is more important to me than flying on time. Now, I love things to be on time. I'm early to most things in my life. But if I'm sitting on a plane and they say, listen, we need to fix this before we go, fix it, take your time. I know that you um, are gonna be happy. And I'm actually quite thankful for that. Um, not that everyone who meets with those people and, and who is in those, in those gates and screaming, they're not thankful, but I'm actually pretty thankful for the way that they really take safety seriously when they fly. And it's interesting as we're looking, as we're looking um, at gratitude today, there's some particular stats on gratitude. Now these are not specific stats, but they're kind of um, the, the learnings that we have from certain whether it's NAMI or Harvard Health, um, some of this information. So a large study conducted by Virginia Commonwealth University showed that thankfulness predicted a significantly lower risk of major depression, generalized anxiety disorder, phobia, nicotine dependence, alcohol dependence, and drug abuse. Right? We learned that from when looking for happiness, find gratitude in the NAMI uh, journal. Harvard Health says that in a study, one group wrote about things they were grateful for that had occurred during the week. A second group wrote about irritations or things that had displeased them. And the third group wrote about events that had affected them with no emphasis either on being positive or negative. After 10 weeks of this study, those who wrote about gratitude were more optimistic and felt better about their lives. Surprisingly, they also exercised more and had fewer visits to physicians than those who focused on sources of aggravation. This again comes from Harvard Health in a journal article called Giving Thanks Can Make You Happier. So we see that gratitude is healthier and it allows us to live a life that is counter to the culture that we have been given. Because a lot of people don't live with overwhelming amounts of gratitude. Now, some do, for sure. And that's a blessing when they do. But most of us live with kind of what we think is the opposite of gratitude. Now, what is the opposite of gratitude? Which is an interesting question for me because as I'm searching that, and of course we start at Google, right? So I go to a Google search and I'm like, what's the opposite of gratitude? And it tells me that it's ingratitude but it didn't really feel right to me. So 
the definition of ingratitude is lack of proper appreciation or thanks for something. Um, but that doesn't seem to really encapsulate what the opposite of gratitude is. This seems like just being unthankful. But I would posit that the opposite of gratitude is actually entitlement. And if it's not the opposite, it is definitely the enemy of gratitude. Now, I hope this word entitlement doesn't necessarily trigger anyone because it's come into the, the, um, the, the national vocabulary, if you will, in the form of a few things, right? It's either entitlement or it's this idea of privilege. So let's make sure we don't you know, let that be a trigger to us because I wanna talk about what this means for us. There's really two definitions of entitlement. One is the belief that one is inherently deserving of privileges or special treatment. And the second is the fact of having a right to something. So entitlement is either the belief that someone is inherently deserving of certain privileges or certain special treatment or the fact that they have a right to something that maybe other people don't have to. And it's usually in conjunction with the idea that somebody else doesn't have that same right. So we see that right over and above somebody else's right and that's entitlement. And the truth is entitlement always eclipses gratitude. The two cannot really exist simultaneously. Entitlement means that we're owed something, that it's your right and you should have it because of who you are, who you were born to, or what you already have. And you see, when you are entitled, opportunities that you get are seen as a right, not a gift. The truth is opportunity is priceless, right? And having a chance is a gift, not an entitlement. I mean, I have access to all kinds of things, right? Growing up, I had access to education, to medical care, to clean water, to electricity, to safe housing, well-paid jobs that my parents have and ultimately were given to me, and as much food as I needed or as pleased me. The truth is I can follow my passions and I have the opportunity to create my life how I choose. I am privileged, not just for what I have, but for what opportunities had been given to me. By forgetting that I have these opportunities, I have, well, behaved with entitlement. And Jesus speaks of entitlement and he does it right after he throws over the tables. Last week, Pastor Dave spoke about throwing over the tables and, and getting those things that are in between us and God or us and one another out of the way. Well, the parable Jesus tells right after this is pretty important when it comes to gratitude and entitlement. So beginning in Matthew chapter 22, verse one, I read from the New Living Translation. Please feel free to read from whatever translation you'd like to read from, but we've become used to this translation. We're gonna talk about the parable of the wedding feast. It begins like this. Jesus also told them other parables. So he began like this. The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. Okay, this is something I know a little bit about. I'll tell you why, because my daughter is getting married in March and I have been sworn that I'm not gonna talk much about her, but I will say this. There is a great deal of preparation that goes into it and there's the accompanying stress and anxiety and of course, joy, right? But a wedding feast is not something to be taken lightly and it's not something that just happens. You know, you, you 
You have to choose everything from the silverware to the, to the plating, to the food, to the music, to the decoration. Like it goes on and on and on and on. And it's pretty awesome. But by the time you're ready to invite people to something, chances are you have done a significant, and I mean a significant amount of work. So when this king prepares a great wedding feast for his son, it's time that he's going to invite people to come. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify those who were invited. This is an interesting point, right? These people had been invited. They had got the invitation. And now he's like, hey, it's ready, right? And in the ancient Middle East, it was, it was an event of days, not hours, right? When the longer the party the richer, the king. So, man, these people knew when it was. And then when they were notified that it was time to come, they all refused to come. Now, why did everyone refuse to come? Well, the truth is they were taking for granted the opportunity. They either thought too much of themselves or they didn't realize the gift that is the invitation. Some were so calloused that they even took care of the messengers. Matthew 22, four. So he sent others. Now they had already said no. So he sent others to tell them the feast has been prepared. The bulls are fat and the cattle have been killed and everything is ready. Come to the banquet. He tries it again. Don't they see the opportunity for joy, for feasting, for camaraderie? The invitation comes with love and hopefulness and they refuse and they refuse mightily. But the guests that he had invited ignored them and went their own way, one to his farm, another to his business. They were too busy. They were too important. They were too entitled to see what was being offered. In fact, others seized his messengers and insulted them and actually killed them. Now, this is just downright rude and arrogant. Maybe the king wasn't important enough. Maybe he was just a smaller vassal king rather than a real king. Maybe the invitation wasn't fancier enough and, and we've spent time making sure the invitation looks just right for my daughter's wedding, right? Or the people were just too arrogant maybe to see the opportunity. And so they refused to come. They had been invited, but they refused to come. The king was furious and he sent his army to destroy the murderers and burn their town. Well, I don't know if you forgot about this section or not, but I have a tendency to because it's not in every single one of them, right? This is, shows up in the Synoptic Gospels. We know that the Lucan account, um, the Lucan account doesn't have particularly this part. I'm not 100% sure what to do with it because this is pretty brutal other than to recognize that the king was frustrated and saddened by not only their unwillingness to come, but the way in which they refused. It's one thing to apologize and say, I can't come. It's another thing to be entitled enough to think that you can kill a messenger from a king. Now, there may not be a, a one-to-one direct application to your life right here for an, for an invitation that you get. I would say this, don't kill the messenger. But the question is, do you not understand the invitation? And do you not understand the opportunity that the invitation gets? And maybe you think you don't need the opportunity. Have you ever heard somebody say, I don't need any more friends? That's a fascinating thing to me. And as you get older, as you get older, you begin to feel that way a little bit, right? You begin to feel like, well, maybe I don't really need 
any more friends because I have enough and I can't keep my, you know, <laughs> can't keep my friends straight. This is the problem with entitlement. We feel like we have everything that we need or anything that we need will be given to us anyway. So the king, frustrated, says to his servants, the wedding feast is ready and the guests I invited aren't worthy of the honor. We lose our right to the invitation when we believe we are entitled to it and when we think we're better than it. You guys may not like this. And I, I would hope that it's not true in our circles, in our communities. But over the years, and it's, as you get older, you, you know, the, the world becomes a little bit more divided by those who do really successfully in life and those who maybe don't do as financially successfully in life, right? We begin to see those lines. Over the years, the more successful people get, the less they think they need God. And I've... This doesn't, this is, listen, I don't want to paint with too broad a brush here because there are certainly people who have done incredibly well for themselves. People in our communities who have done incredibly well for themselves, like shockingly well. And they, they are so thankful for the opportunity and the invitation from God. But then I've sat with others, even those who are in the church, who certainly think that all they have, they created, they made happen. And my bet is they're incredibly competent and they did make a lot of that happen. But somewhere along the line, they forget about the opportunities that God gave them. And they think that they created the world that they live in. Not that there is a greater creator who created even the context of the world in which they live. So in this parable, Jesus says that the king says, the guests I invited aren't worthy of the honor. We lose our right to the invitation when we believe we are entitled to it and we think we are better than it. So what does the parable say? What does the king in the parable say? These are the words of Jesus. Now go into the street corners and invite everyone you see. Go to the margins of society. Go to the streets, the alleyways. Go under the bridges. Right? Find anyone you can find. So the servants, what they do? They brought in everyone they could find, good and bad alike, and the banquet hall was filled with guests. So God will fill his banquet hall. The question is always simply this, will you be there? This parable teaches us something about all those who are too comfortable in their standing with the king. The good news, it's meant for the hungry for those who would drop everything for an invitation and an opportunity of a banquet, when we lose sight of the radical grace of the invitation, we have forgotten who we are. And we have forgotten the overwhelming gift of grace that God gives us. It means that we have stopped living our life with gratitude and have begun to live our lives with entitlement. And entitlement always eclipses gratitude. You know who never forgot, even for all his entitlement, honestly, you know who never forgot about radical grace? It was Paul. Paul never forgot about this radical grace and he was radically grateful for it. So let's jump to Philippians if we can, a little book that I think is super powerful 
in its grace and gratitude towards what God has given us. It is a testament to the radical grace God gives and how to live counterculturally, right? Because gratitude is not always the go-to for people. I often read Philippians like 10 through 13, right? Um, for I, I've learned the secret of being content in all things, whether in plenty or in want, whether well-fed or hungry, whether clothed or naked. I can do all things in him who strengthened me, right? I have quoted that forever. That's not what I'm quoting today. Today we're starting in Philippians 4, verse 3. And it says this, and I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women, for they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers, whose names are written in the book of life, encouraging radical grace and the invitation when it comes to those who minister with him, asking the Christians in Philippi to welcome Eodia and Synchthis and Clement and the rest of my coworkers, right? The rest of my coworkers who are, whose names are written in the book of light, he's inviting them to partner with them. And then Paul is like weirdly effervescent and weirdly effervescent due to the fact that he's in prison. He says, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Why is Paul weirdly effervescent? Because Paul is living a life of gratitude, having taken the opportunities that God had given him and gone further than he ever thought he would for the gospel and with the gospel. What we see is him now in prison in Rome, writing to the church in Philippi and saying, listen, always be full of joy. I say it again, rejoice, right? Be, be grateful for what God has done. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Live with gratitude and grace. Live differently. Don't live entitled to anything. Paul's writing this now that he's not entitled to anything at all. Paul is saying, listen, all of this has been a gift of grace from God. Even the fact that I'm in prison is a gift of grace from God because his suffering, right, builds character and his character builds hope, as he says in Romans 5. And he says, listen, don't even worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. He understands his own invitation, the opportunity to receive grace and to receive this invitation that God gives us to live a life differently, to live a life counterculturally. Paul is full of gratitude in prison. He's full of grace for his keepers and for his people. Paul is not living a life of entitlement for anything. Even though, as we know, he was a Pharisee. He came from that ruling class. He was well-educated. He was willing to let it all go. All the things that were entitled to him by his station, his position, his family, all those things that should have been his, he was willing to let go of for the sake of Jesus Christ and the grace that was given to him. So when I talk about living counterculturally, I mean that we rejoice in our sufferings, that we rejoice when things don't work out, that, I, that we rejoice and are grateful for our lack as much as we are for our increase. He says, see, if you live like that, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. It's a peace that comes from not having everything, but being given more. 
What do I mean by that? You may not have everything. Right? It's easy for us to sit down at a Thanksgiving table and thank God for everything that we have. When we have, it's harder to do it when we don't feel like we have anything. But sometimes when it feels like we don't have all those maybe material needs that we have, we can see grace. We can see salvation. We can see hope, community, and worship, and overwhelming joy. In all of this, Paul is profoundly grateful. And now, dear brothers and sisters, he says, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true, what is honorable, and what is right, what is pure and lovely and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. So think about those gifts, not the absences. Think about the abundance, not the lack. The overflow, not the scarcity. The great things that God has done that make sense or that make your praise make sense. Right? Because I get it, man. It's hard to come into church. It's hard to walk in. Sometimes I feel like praising when things aren't always going well. But we pray for those things that are consistent from God. Those things that are transcendent from God as well. We don't simply wait for what we think we need, but we live in gratitude for what we know we have. His love, his power, his grace, his mercy, his compassion towards us, his justice in our lives, his overwhelming sense of value that he finds in us, so much so that he would come to earth as a human being and die for us. What do we give thanks for? It's gotta be bigger than a roof over our heads because it's a universe for which we live and play in, a place to pray and a God to pray to. Our ideas of gratitude need to transcend what we physically see and experience and move into those places of theology and philosophy, of hope and grace and these big, huge words that while may not make you a sandwich on a Tuesday, but does make the world a place where a sandwich can be had because of the compassion and mercy of others in our communities. This week, we're about to do a big event, an outreach event. And we're actually doing it not because we had planned on doing it. We've already done our outreach event. Our people are all um, well-fed. They did it last week, the Thanksgiving meal last week. But there was another church that's holding this massive event for a lot of, um, a, a lot of the underserved in the community. And the city they were in did not want them to have it. And so they asked if they could have it in our parking lot. Now it's inconvenient, right? We weren't prepared to do this, but we opened up our parking lot because we thought, you know what? Maybe someone will find the hope of Jesus through the sandwich that they give them that day, through the shower that they're able to take. On and on and on and on. Those big things like hope, compassion, mercy, joy, peace, those things make the world inhabitable. 
And then we thank God for those personal things that we have, like a roof over our head and food on our table. But those are all made possible by the greater things that God has given us. So even if you've built your business and you've built your life and you've built your practice and you've built whatever, know that it came in the context of the world that God made for you. And then Paul says, listen, keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. What he's saying is, listen, I've really tried to live a life that models gratitude and I'm profoundly grateful. He knows he does not deserve this grace. And he knows that like what's coming for him is not great, but he's content with what has been given. He's a model of gratitude and he knows it. And he's not arrogant when he says this but I think he is constantly surprised that things are still okay in the midst of all his suffering. You see, gratitude is living in the wonder of God's grace, constantly amazed and humbled by it, often reflecting on how lucky and unworthy we are. You see, entitlement is believing you are more worthy than someone else because Because what? We are this person. Because we are this race or this religion, this socioeconomic class, this nationality, this gender, this orientation, this education, whatever. On and on and on. We think that we're worth more. And by the way, it's weird that we're always the organizing principle of that. And we're worth more because of who we are. And somebody who has a different set of priorities may not be worth more. We all find reasons to be entitled. And you see, that's what the culture tells us we should be. But what I think we all need to understand, those who got the first invitation and those who got the last invitation, what we should understand is that the meal is all prepared for us and the kingdom of God is open to you. Everything is ready. All the ways that our entitlements get in the way of our gratitude are exactly the reasons that God says everyone, says to everyone, that the meal is all prepared. Come to the wedding party. And now, we're all given the same opportunity to come to the banquet. So I ask the question again, will you be there? Or will you believe that you are above in the invitation and the opportunity? Or that you're so worthy someone else shouldn't get the invitation? Because that's the ugly kind of underbelly of that entitlement, that this banquet is for me and not for you, but it's for all of us. And when we accept that, we begin to live in a community that is diverse, a community that is uncomfortable because it is uncomfortable to have such gratitude in the midst of such diversity. It is uncomfortable to have such gratitude in the midst of such suffering like Paul was. And sometimes we suffer too. It is uncomfortable for us to be around such love, such hope, such grace, such mercy, such compassion. So there's one thing to do. It is to live a life of gratitude. A gratitude that simply says, thank you.
for all that we've been given. It's my hope that on this Thanksgiving weekend, you will look around at the people that you love and the people that you don't yet know, and you will thank God that he put them in your life so that you may grow the kingdom through the relationships of gratitude that we have. Let's bow our heads. Lord of grace, we are truly grateful. And on this particular Thanksgiving weekend, Lord, we don't want to seem entitled to your love. We just want to be grateful for your love. So thank you for everything that you've given us, for everything that you've given each one of us in this space. And Lord, as we move from this place, my, my dearest hope and my deepest desire is that we as communities live this life of gratitude, not only in our spaces, but outside of our places as well. Because that's what it means to love well. We pray this in your name. In the name of Jesus, amen.